Hey everyone, and welcome to the PALS 2020 update. So I'm just going to go over a few things on what to expect for the PALS recertification cycle coming up here in January, uh, specifically the second week of January, probably until about the second week of February. Um, so first off, you can reference what day your battalion or station is going to be testing. So we are uh, testing each battalion on a certain week. So if you just go to LMS to the medical bulletin board and click the PALS 2020 schedule link, um, that'll tell you exactly which week your battalion is testing and what time your station is going to be uh, participating. So we are doing things a little bit differently this year. Rather than have crews come to the EOC or to the uh, Sim Lab down south, we are going to uh, actually utilize the mobile Sim Lab and we're going to be in the battalion when we're testing the battalions. So we'll just set up shop at one of the stations in the battalion and we'll rotate crews through that uh, specific station. So, you know, for example, Battalion 11, I think we're going to be setting up at uh, most likely Station 106 um, and then rotating crews through to do the the test. So during the test, we will have, well, I'll get into that in a minute. So uh, first off, for all full-timers, obviously, if you're a full-timer, you'll be participating in the PALS scenario, whether you're an EMT basic or a paramedic. So we do expect uh, participation from all certification levels. And the reason for this is it's going to help streamline the recertification process for your state license or national license. So if you're an EMT basic, you will receive eight hours of pediatric um, continuing education towards recertification, and you'll receive a certificate of completion from the UFA for that, that you can upload to your national registry or just to have in your transcripts on LMS. And so uh, by <clears throat> participating in the PALS training, you, um, you will be knocking out a huge chunk towards recertification um, in a various uh, in a in a in various topics such as pediatric cardiac arrest, special patient populations, so on and so forth for eight hours. So um, make sure you participate in that. You know, it's it's not if if you're an EMT basic and you miss it because you're on vacation or you call in sick or something. True, it is optional for you to reschedule a makeup day, um, but I would highly recommend it. It's just going to make recertification for your state license that much easier. And to tell you the truth, it's pretty easy training. So you're just going to come in and participate with your crew. Uh, for our EMT basics, we will have a, you know, a short pediatric quiz on information that we'll go over during testing. Um, just to validate the training as legitimate training and AEMTs. So just like always, you guys will be participating in it. You'll all the AEMT AEMTs will be assigned the written test. And for whatever reason, you don't have to pass it. You just have to take it, uh, to validate the training hours. So if you are an AEMT and currently hold a pals card, um, we do expect you to recertify that. And if you're an AEMT and want a PALS card, then when you come in to test, we'll have you do a scenario as the patient person, 
and that will be geared more towards your certification level. And then you'll, of course, have to pass the written test in order to obtain a PALS card. Now, all of our AEMTs took PALS at one point when they were in AEMT school. So even if your PALS card has lapsed and you want to be recertified, you know, when you come in to take your test, just let us know and retake the test or, or just do a scenario as a patient person and then pass the written test. So, and then of course, all paramedics, uh, PALS certification is mandatory. And of course it's mandatory that you pass both the scenario practical portion and the written portion. Um, so that being said, really try not to stress out about it. Um, going to be a really straightforward test. All of our scenarios are pulled from actual calls that the UFA responded on. And then because pediatric cardiac arrest is not a a really common scenario, um, we will be using scenarios, pediatric scenarios we've responded on. And spoiler alert, every single patient is going to deteriorate to cardiac arrest at some point during the scenario. And So there's basically going to be kind of three components to each scenario. So first component is, of course, gathering a general impression and doing a a, uh, sufficient assessment of the patient. So gather a strong history, gather, you know, medication history and allergies. And that's going to tell you a lot about what is wrong with the patient. Um, And then a good assessment, of course, you know, pay attention to things like, is the patient hypovolemic? Maybe they need a fluid bolus. I would strongly suggest any pediatric patient in cardiac arrest should be getting a fluid bolus. Um, checking temperatures. So a uh, body temperature can tell you a lot about the condition of your patient or what may be wrong. Um, and then, of course, oxygenation. So making sure your patient is sufficiently oxygenated. Um, so unlike adult cardiac arrest, we can't rely on passive ventilation with pediatrics. So, um, with that oxygenation piece, just go into these scenarios knowing that at least one person off your crew is going to have to be dedicated to airway and they're actually going to have to do airway. So, um, acceptable things may be maintaining a BLS airway. So an OPA and a BVM, maybe that looks like just putting an oxygen mask on the patient if they're conscious. And then if you choose to move to an advanced airway procedure, just remember that our first line advanced airway adjunct at the UFA and per 2B protocol is the LMA. So, and then if the LMA fails, you can move to pediatric intubation. But there's really only a handful of reasons why you should be intubating a pediatric patient. And those reasons are burns, allergic reaction, drowning, and foreign body airway obstruction. So if you've removed a foreign body airway obstruction, you know, we would be considering that maybe their airway could swell, so we want to intubate that patient. So really those are the only truly acceptable reasons to intubate a a pediatric patient or unless the LMA failed, then you can move to innovation. So, and then the last piece to that is pay attention to our glucoses. 
So anytime our patient's unconscious, we want to check the glucose, right? So fluid, warmth, oxygen, glucose, if you pay attention to those four things, your pediatric scenario is going to go very smoothly. Um, pay, and with those, that there's some of your H's and T's right there. Um, also, too, uh, consider toxins, drug overdose. That is a huge cause of death in pediatrics. So um, pay special attention to those to those things and keep in mind your H's and T's. And if you haven't had a chance to study the Brazlo tape or the dose by dose dose by growth uh, tape that we have, that's the one we carry here at UFA. You uh, should all know that the H's and T's are listed right on the Brazlo tape. So you really don't even need to memorize your H's and T's. They're printed there for you. And H's and T's are a huge thing with pediatric arrest. So we do expect to see you working through those H's and T's, the reversible causes. Uh, critical criteria for the scenarios are going to be, uh, first and foremost, high-quality CPR. So no delaying CPR and then making sure that your CPR is at a rate between 100 and 120 and appropriate depth. So, And when I talk about no delaying CPR, that means if your patient needs CPR, such as pediatric bradycardia, um, as soon as we recognize hemodynamic compromise, we are going to start CPR. So you can't determine hemodynamic uh, compromise until your patient is patched up with a, at least a four lead or your fast patches and you analyze the rhythm and even work on a set of vital signs. So you have that amount of time before you need to start CPR. So in the case of pediatric bradycardia, so before I can determine they're hemodynamically compromised, I'm going to assess the patient first before, before we just right off the bat jump into CPR. So I'm going to get oxygen on the kid because he'll obviously be cyanotic. I'll put patches on him, analyze the rhythm. Do I in fact have sinus bradycardia? And then I'm going to maybe even try to get a blood pressure. And then if his rate has not improved in the time that I've done all those things while I've been delivering oxygen, remember oxygen goes first. If I haven't had an improvement in my rate and he's still hemodynamically compromised, that would be the appropriate time to move to chest compressions. So what that looks like is about, we expect those things to be accomplished within the first 60 to 90 seconds. Um, any longer than that uh, would be considered delayed CPR is a critical criteria. So, um, so yeah. So just assess your patient in a timely fashion. Once you recognize hemodynamic instability, start CPR. And then other critical criteria too um, is we only estimate weight with the Braslow tape at the UFA. So you have to use the Braslow tape to measure your patient to estimate their weight. And conveniently, Every piece of information you need for the PAL scenario is on the Braslow tape. All your drug dosages, both the milligrams and the volume, are on the Braslow tape. Sizes of equipment, um, 
defibrillation dosages, cardioversion dosages are all printed on the Braslow tape. So do yourself a favor and study the Braslow tape and be well versed in knowing how to find the information on there. Um, it'll help you out a lot. And if you want, you can even bring in the green uh, pediatric Braslow bag. And once you determine the weight, you can pull out the corresponding pouch for the patient and it has everything written in there. So, um, so those are a couple of the, the main critical criterias. Also too, if your patient gets ROSC and they most likely will, uh, we're just looking for supportive care. So what that looks like is once you recognize that you have ROSC, get an immediate set of vital signs so that you can treat your patient accordingly. So if your patient's hypovolemic, you know, let's start from least invasive to most invasive. So we would be obviously starting out with a fluid bolus. Um, it doesn't mean that anyone's going to be expected to hang an epi drip, although you may in your scenario, it's not hanging a vasopressor is not a critical criteria. Um, and then let's see another critical criteria is going to be, let's see. Oh, capnography. So, um, because we carry capnography, the American heart association has deemed it negligent to not use entitled capnography. So, if you're doing a BLS airway, put the capnography on between the mask and the valve and the BVM or put on the nasal cannula uh, capnography. And if you place a LMA or an ET tube, you have to put capnography on, on that. It goes with all ALS airway adjuncts. That would be a critical failure for um, not using capnography. So... And how the scenarios are structured is there's basically three parts to them. Your first part is your assessment. We'll be, you'll be graded on how well you assess the patient, gather information about that patient and why they may be in the condition they're in. And then your second part of the scenario is going to be, you know, your overall performance on the cardiac arrest. So are you giving appropriate drug dosages? That's a critical criteria. So your drug dosages need to be on point and your sequence of drugs need to be on point. So for instance, if you have a patient that you shocked multiple times and they're still in pulses VTAC or VFib and you have not administered amiodarone, uh, you just forgot to do that, that would be a critical fail. Or if their blood sugar was really low and you failed to administer glucose or D, uh, dextrose, that would be a critical fail. Um, so, so appropriate medication management is a critical fail and that's what you're going to be graded on also to the person doing CPR needs to be doing high quality, effective CPR. So, um, and then just overall scene management, how well are you controlling the scene? Um, are you delegating tasks to people? Um, so really leverage the help of your crew to get those things done. Um, we, we're, not, we're not doing it like one-on-one -one training where it's just going to be an EMT and a medic come in. 
for the first five minutes like we did with ACLS. With this, when you show up, you are going to run the scenario how you normally respond. So if you show up on an engine, you're going to be going in with your whole crew. If you're on an ambulance, uh, your engine should be there with you. We'll let everyone into the scenario to do the scenario. However, keep in mind that the patient, um, the patient care person is the one being tested. And so they can delegate most tasks. Uh, they just need to, they need to do the medication administration. They have to start the IV or the IO. And then they also have to decide at what dose you're going to cardiovert or defibrillate the patient at. So, and then we also expect the patient man to, um, recognize, um, good or bad CPR and make adjustments accordingly. And then the third part would, would obviously be the ROSC uh, portion, just that you take vital signs in a timely manner and support your patient. So um, if you need a PALS book, if for some reason the PALS books that we sent out to the stations um, may, may have disappeared, maybe they got misplaced, maybe you can't find it, uh, we're not sending out PALS books this time to all the stations like we normally do because the new 2020 PALS guidelines are coming out next year. And so we're holding off to purchase those newer books. So if you feel like you don't have access to a PALS book, you can download the Kindle app. And as long as you have an Amazon account, you can just sign in. And the PALS book and the ACLS book are both a free download in Kindle. So... um Go ahead and download the PALS book to study up on. Study up on the algorithms. And then, of course, study up on the Braslow tape. And, yeah, and you'll be absolutely good. There's no, there's no tricks in the scenarios. They're all super straightforward scenarios. Pretty to, easy to navigate, especially with the Braslow tape. So um, if you have any questions reach out to me. Uh, my email is cmiddlemiss at unifiedfire.org. And we will see you in January and February. Thanks. Thanks.